Father, we thank you so much for our Lord and Savior. When we talk about the powers of hell and the sting of death, those things seem very real many times in our life. But we are grateful that they do not overwhelm or overcome our risen Savior. How grateful we are to be called by your name today. How grateful we are that our hope is real and assured. How grateful we are to read the words, Jesus is risen. And know that means something for us and for our salvation. Oh Lord, open our ears to hear what you have to say to us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so encouraged and so blessed by uh, all the musicians and those that poured time and energy uh, this week preparing. I'm grateful for those. Uh, it's a beautiful sign behind me, and uh, that didn't just happen. So many, so many work to make that uh, look beautiful and make this day special, to mark it out. All week, it's been uh, good reminders from Palm Sunday to Wednesday. We had Cross and Communion, and Friday we had a Good Friday service with another church yesterday, the Easter Egg Hunt. Uh, it's taken me back, so a little bit of my family history before I could remember, 40 years ago, 1977 was the year my parents heard the gospel. They had been to church before, but it had never become real to them until Easter Sunday, 40 years ago. And then I think uh, of several years back, uh, Easter was the day I was baptized and professed faith in Jesus Christ. So uh, this day is special. I'm so glad you're here. And so glad you made a priority of this particular time for uh, this particular day. So on a, on a few occasions, our family has gone to museums. I'm a history nerd, so I'm, I'm glad. I can spend all day looking at these things. And so I'll walk around, and it does not take very long where I get the not-so-subtle hints that the family's kind of done, and I'm just, I'm just starting. And I get the very distinct impression that every, every place we go, we go down you know, this exhibit, I can just, like the thought bubble above my kid's head is more old stuff. More old stuff. Even more old stuff. So, I mean, there are names of people and places and these trinkets that I, I think are, are pretty fascinating. Just more old stuff. Those museums tell a story, and often there's like a lot of little stories that they're trying to merge into one big story that you process and you take in. I think sometimes if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you come to the Bible, especially you come to this particular weekend, and it's, it's not more old stuff, it's just more Jesus stuff. And let's look at that, and it's, now it's more Jesus stuff, more resurrection stuff. Heard the story about Thomas, yeah, I've heard that one before. The women early in the morning have heard that one before. We can become dulled to the story, the amazing story that the resurrection tells. And I want you to find your place this morning in this massive story. Most of the time on Sundays we take like one particular passage and we spend a while in that one particular passage. Uh, today, I actually want us to look at several really connecting a couple of words 
that are connected repeatedly in Scripture. And those words are resurrection and hope. Resurrection and hope. So 1 Peter 1 and verse 3 introduces it. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, feel free to use, uh, use the verses here on the screen. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like it even the punctuation there, exclamation point. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice the connection, resurrection and hope. So Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus Christ, reminds other Christians that because of the mercy of God, he has called us and caused us to be born again. That's, that's the best word that Peter can find to describe it. It's, it's such new life. It's like you hadn't existed before and there's new existence for you. Spiritually speaking, you are born again. You're born again to a hope, a living hope. And this happened through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection and hope. Hope is an important word in Scripture. When you read the Bible, especially when you come to the last third of the Bible, the New Testament, when you read the word hope, often we, we kind of have to do a, a mental reset on that word because the way we use hope is different than often how Scripture uses the word hope. And, and those differences show up in some important ways. Often we we will use hope as something you do. Uh, it, it's a verb. So we might say this, I, I, I hope this will happen, or I hope that the results come back negative or positive, whichever that may be, or I hope the meeting goes well, or I hope my team finally has a decent year, or I hope the allergy season isn't too, too bad this year or too long this year. We hope. It's a verb. But when we use the word hope, we're often communicating something uncertain. We're we're recognizing an important thing, and that is we are not in control. We're not in control of the weather, so we hope it's a nice day out. We're not in control of our health, so we're hoping the report comes back okay. We're not really in control of other people, so we're hoping no one like submarines Easter, Easter lunch today makes an idiot of themselves around the table. We hope. We can't control. We open up the possibility of disappointment. It almost functions, hope almost functions as a, a synonym in the way we use it as, as a synonym for wishful thinking. Well, I hope so. We even talk about not getting our, our hopes up for the fear of disappointment. But when you come to the Bible, when you come to Scripture, hope rarely is used as a verb. More often than not, it's used as a noun. It's not something you do, it's something you have. And often it's not insignificant things, it's important things. It's, and it's also... Like when, when the scripture uses the word hope, it's a matter of certainty. 
how can it be certain? I mean, I, don't, I still don't control things. I still don't control the future. I still don't control other people. How can we use the word hope? It's because hope rests in God who does control things. This is not wishful thinking because God controls things. So, so scripture will use words like, I will be vindicated or I will not be ashamed because of the hope I have. There's a, there's a certainty that's different from wishful thinking like we use the word hope. As we walk through a couple places in Scripture, I just want to point out how hope is so tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the times Paul lets us, you know, Paul lets us kind of get a window into that connection is when he tells us this prayer he was praying for the believers in Ephesus. So in Ephesians chapter 1, you can see the words there in verse 16, Paul's Paul's grateful, but then it transitions quickly into him being prayerful. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul is grateful, but he's prayerful. And he's praying that the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul's praying that they might have knowledge and this would come from God. Verse 18, that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know, and hear the word, that you may know what is the hope. Remember, it's something you have, the hope to which he's called you. That you might know what are the riches of his, uh, of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that you might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead... You see, hope is connected to power, but the power is connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul is prayerful that they would have knowledge of the hope to which God had called them, a hope which is something certain, an inheritance which is something certain, the immeasurable greatness of his power. And he says, the degree of the power you'll know, it's according to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says because of the resurrection, we can have hope of power. We occasionally are reminded of of how we would like to have more power than we have. Whether it's influence or even physical strength. So it's not uncommon to see kids comparing their muscles and then we find sophisticated grown-up ways of comparing how strong we are how powerful we are. We rank ourselves accordingly. Okay, so it says God is giving power to believers. The question would be like, well, what do you need power for? What, what, what do you need to be strong? I mean, so the Bible says that God is powerful and God will give you power. Why do you need that power? We need that power because there are so many strong things in this world. This world often can just be almost like a, a buzzsaw that takes you apart. How are you going to make it? You need strength. You need power. When it comes to our enemy, the Bible doesn't speak of Satan in like figurative, hypothetical terms, but in very real terms. How are you going to withstand a spiritual enemy bent on your destruction? You're going to need power. When we think of our own flesh, the pull of our flesh, 
especially at times, it's un- unusually sharp, the pull of our flesh toward a particular substance, toward a particular addiction that we can't seem to break free from. You need power. You need strength. And Scripture connects that and says, when you finally get to the point where you realize, you know, maybe at one point you thought you were enough, you thought you were strong, you thought you could manage, but then you face something to which you don't have enough, you need power. Scripture reminds us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is power at work. Power at work in you to help you persevere when you think, I think it's all over. This walk with Jesus, I think it's done. Power to make a new start. When you feel like, I just need to, I need to reset, not just a couple things, but my whole life. And to get that started again, I'm going to need power I don't have. I can't just like turn the page and all of a sudden pretend that life before didn't exist. I need power to do something new to get this, get my, my life changed and in a different direction. I'm going to need power. I'm going to need power to fight temptation. I need, to, I, I need power to become the person that God has made me to be. God, God has called you and to fulfill all the calling that God has for you. You will need power. In this age of like the, the prominence of Star Wars, sometimes we think of this like power is the force, like some spiritual force. And kind of what we're talking about is the Jesus force. It would just give you like all the power you need. But the resurrection of Jesus promises more than a force. It promises a person. Christ didn't die and Christ isn't risen for positive vibes on your life. You're going to need more than positive energy and well wishes. You're going to need more than just kind of the the force of the universe working in your direction. And Ephesians doesn't talk in like impersonal force terms. It talks in very specific terms, and that is the risen Jesus is at work in your life, in work, at work in our lives together. You're made not, not for an impersonal force, but you're made for a relationship. We need power, we need a person, and Paul prays for them to hope in something greater. And if we didn't have the resurrection, we would not have the same hope that God's power is directed to us and for our benefit. We would be missing the knowledge of the power of his immeasurable greatness to us. This passage in Ephesians is telling us if God can raise the dead, then certainly he can work powerfully powerfully for you and in you. I look at my own limitations and I think, you know, I, I so desperately want to protect the things and the people that are most important to me. I feel at times I have no, no power to even do that. I have a desire to live right. And sometimes I, I see my own flesh and the decisions I make, and I think, I have no power in and of my own strength. I, I know my limitations. Seems all too impossible. But with resurrection, we have knowledge and experience of God's power. There's hope. Remember, it's not wishful thinking. It's a certainty. And that hope comes because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's another connection Paul makes with the hope and resurrection in 2 Corinthians 1. 
2 Corinthians 1, Paul says it this way, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers. Notice how he just describes a particularly dark period in his life. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves. Notice the resurrection. But, but on God, who raises the dead, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Resurrection and hope, he makes the connection again. And I hope you see these words of Paul. He, he's talking about affliction, and he's saying I, we, we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. We, we didn't have in our capacity, we felt like we were, were out of gas here. We don't have enough strength. In verse 8, he would say, we even despaired of life itself. Like waking up was a chore. He said in verse 9, we felt like someone had given us the sentence of death on us. Verse 10, we experienced deadly peril. It's a brutal experience of life. I think what we ought to just recognize, in case you're wondering, all of, all of that that's just described is after Paul became a Christian. I think sometimes we, we, we think, because I'm a Christian, I just kind of enter this magical paradise where I won't have anything problematic happen to me, nothing rough, nothing hard. But Paul is saying these words like affliction and despairing of life itself. That is as a believer, that is as a Christian. So what could speak to Paul in that moment? He knew, he knew that God was at work there. Paul had found reason to rely on God. He was expecting deliverance. He had set his hope on deliverance, but that hope was set on deliverance mainly because he knew God could raise the dead. We have to have certainty, not just wishful thinking. And the resurrection of Jesus promises more. It did for Paul more than something symbolic. Resurrection promises deliverance. I hear the way kind of Easter and resurrection is adapted in our culture today. And often it's come to mean something like just, just a symbol of new life, like the Christian kind of symbol of new life. Kind of as the first plants emerge from the ground in spring after a long winter, just a symbol of new life. But Christ died for more than just a symbol. It's not merely a symbol that we are given. It's something real. What is it? What is it that that for you might put you in some of those tough places that, that Paul described I mean, in quite quite amount of detail. What is it? Is it, the, is it the illness that you cannot seem to shake that makes you despair even of, I, I hate to wake up in the morning. What is it? Is it losing a loved one that makes you wonder, like, is it really worth going on anymore? Is it another kind of loss? Is it a, a stage of life that seems to just seem to be reminding you of something that you don't want to be reminded of and it keeps pressing and keeps pressing on you? Is it giving care uh, of, of someone and just watching them even and their struggle and their health fail? Is it 
the regular failures you see in your own life that makes you wonder, like, do I just have this sentence of death on me? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it repeated disappointment again and again and again? You, you hoped for something and then you were disappointed and you hoped for something again and it got crushed again. Is it a, a broken relationship? So as you walk in and you see families gathered and, and people and hugs exchange, it's a, yet another reminder of a, a broken family that makes you wonder, is it is it even worth going on? You feel utterly burdened beyond your strength. Is it watching a family member that you care about so deeply drift away? What is it? Has life beat you up to the point where kind of your ability to trust is, is just waning and you, you, you can tell yourself maybe it'll get, get better tomorrow, but actually... You kind of know it's not. It's not going to get better. We need faith in that kind of darkness, and that comes from hope. And the root of that hope is the resurrection of Jesus. Hope means that we have certainty. God raises Jesus in the darkest of circumstances. And that anchors our hope to real promises. There are scriptures that you've come to know and love. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil. For you are with me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or John 14, Jesus says, I'm, I'm going away, but don't let your hearts be troubled. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Or when we feel like we're weak and we don't have strength, it's, we can mount up with wings like eagles because there is one who never grows weary, who never grows tired. This is the deliverance. And the, the, the prime picture of this is God the Son, lifeless in the tomb. And then we sang about it just a moment ago. But bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose. And if God can keep that promise of resurrection, then certainly he can deliver us. Whatever you're walking through, whether it's walking through matters of life and death and processing all that, even when you're processing some of the deep injustices and wondering like, is that ever going to be righted? Is that ever going to be, like, is that person ever going to have to answer for what they've done? I don't see it happening here. There's hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. There's deliverance. The resurrection of Jesus promises something more, much more than just a a symbolic kind of idea of just new life coming and springtime. Promises deliverance. I don't know that any chapter in the Bible speaks to resurrection quite like 1 Corinthians 15 does. The whole chapter is 58 verses. It's a lot. And it's all kind of woven around the subject of the resurrection of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul opens the chapter by saying this is a matter of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures and he he appeared. When you come further into 1 Corinthians in, in verse 14 of chapter 15, it says, and, and it is a hypothetical situation that Paul is playing out. So let's just say, if Christ has not been raised, well then our preaching is in vain. 
What, I, what I'm doing would be worthless. And your faith, if it's in this risen Savior that we just all praised a moment ago, that would be in vain too. We are found to even be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he did raise Jesus Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are never really can be raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, well, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ isn't raised, well, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. We sang like no guilt in life. Yeah, that's not true. If Christ hasn't risen. If in Christ we have hope, or then in verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished as well. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, but in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And notice the picture here. It's the first fruits, the promise of something more and better to come. It's just the taste of something greater that, that is on its way. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There's the connection there in those verses. There's, there's hope. If we just had hope in this life and that was all there was to it, then everybody ought to feel sorry for us. But there is resurrection. Maybe you're here today a little bit skeptical, questioning some things. Just interesting to me when Paul begins to talk about a resurrection, he assumes like not everybody just comes hardwired to believe all this immediately. That, that those that, that might have questions or say, is this really true? Christianity doesn't start from a point where everybody just, everybody just naturally agrees on that. whole world does. It just makes plain sense to everybody. Paul, though, begins to walk through some of the hypotheticals, even in the earliest time Christians are recognizing. Not everybody will believe this, but we need to play this out. Why is the resurrection so important to what we believe as Christians? What this passage is saying is, if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. Sometimes you'll hear like, well, you know, even, even if it's not true, Christianity kind of makes you a, a better person. Gives you a better positive self-image, maybe. Kind of improves your quality of life. And that's just not the way Paul talks. Just everybody ought to feel sorry, sorry, sorry for Christians. If all this is not true. He reminds us this isn't like the optional part of our faith. Kind of like the spiritual jingle where you can pull that little piece out and it, the whole thing's not going to collapse. This is when you pull the resurrection out, it all goes down. It all folds quickly. What we hope for is tied to a living Savior, life after death, accountability with an authoritative judge, mercy from a God who understands humility. But Jesus is alive. And first fruits reminds us others will be raised with him. Jesus is what guarantees the future resurrection. He is the first fruits. We have hope that we will live forever. Jesus would say, you know, just as I'm risen, you'll live also. Just as I live, you will live also. And we get a picture into the body, the, the actual body of Jesus after the resurrection. It is a real body. He eats and he talks and they see him. And if Jesus lives in a very real way, there's hope we will live as well. We have hope for something significant. When does it matter that, like, that life exists beyond just what we see here in our earthly existence? I'll tell you what, you begin to get to the end of your life and you want to know there's something beyond that. 
you begin to be reminded of your own mortality. You begin the aging process and, and you have an encounter that reminds you you're not going to be here forever. You begin to watch someone that is very meaningful to you begin to pass away. I'll tell you what, if the resurrection, if what we believe doesn't help us in those moments, I'm not sure what good it is. What we like to say today is that, well, like the person that's gone is with us in spirit. And I I actually don't denigrate that. I, I totally understand what that means. Like, you kind of feel their presence. Maybe you'll say that today. Maybe someone who just loved Easter. You'll say, they're, they're with us in spirit. But yet I find that as much as that means something to me, the memory of someone, it's not really a substitute for the real person being in front of you. And see, what resurrection promises is something more than just a, a vaguely spiritual renewal. It promises something real. Resurrection promises more than just kind of vaguely with us in spirit. It promises something real. When you experience the death of someone, you find yourself thinking that you'd, you'd do anything. You'd do anything. Just one more time to hear their voice. One more time to feel their embrace. It's wonderful to have the memories. It's wonderful to look at the pictures. But just one more time to see them, to talk to them, to, for them to be present with you. You want that so deeply. You long for that. You want something not just in the past that you can kind of live in the past a little bit, but you want something in the present. And you surely want something in the future. You want to know it's not all over. You want to know it's not just going to linger in your memory and then when, when you cease to exist, you're done and everybody else is done. You want more than that. And Christianity speaks so powerfully to that. Not just something vaguely spiritual. But when we sing that Jesus is alive, there's nothing vague about him being alive. He's real. And he has a body. And he has a voice talk about what it means to be alive after death when we when we think about a real body that can enjoy a perfect creation maybe we've thought too long the wrong thing that we will only have just kind of a a a weird sort of existence and not really a physical one but i don't i don't think there's any joy in heaven that won't be just maximized and fully completed or any joy on earth that won't be maximized and fully completed in the new heavens and the new earth. I look forward to the day when we are able to enjoy the one who made it all possible, that's Jesus Christ. When without the limitations of sin that continue to distance us from God, when those are taken away, and there's no potential even for sinning, and we're in his presence, the one whom all this world is meant to give glory. Yeah, I, I can't settle for something vaguely spiritual. I want something real. And as Christ is risen from the dead, it's the first fruits that remind us, if you are in Christ, Paul would say, you will be raised with Christ. 
and every bit of his real existence corresponds to your very real existence. So here's the question today. We've talked about hope and resurrection. Do you have something that you are just anchoring your life to that's more than wishful thinking? Do you have something that can bring power that's more than just a force? It's actually a real person. Do you have something that's more than just a, a symbol, nice pretty symbol? Do you have something that actually can deliver you from everything? Are you certain that the future that, that you have hope in is real, not just make-believe? What well, we celebrate at the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Easter is that because of Christ, there is hope. And that hope is not, it's not wishful thinking. It's certain. If you've not experienced what it means to have that kind of power, that kind of deliverance, that kind of real hope, today you can. Today you can place your faith in Jesus Christ. And just as we're reminded that we've died with Christ, you can have hope to be risen with him as well. I ask you to bow your head. In a few moments, we'll sing, reminding ourselves again of the work of Christ for us. Today, where is your hope? What needs to be your next step? Who might you need to talk to? Where are there uncertainties that you're, you're placing a lot of trust in your life on? Father, give wisdom that those who are uncertain of their hope would find it this morning in Jesus Christ. And trust him. Place their faith in him. I pray that this wouldn't just be a private encounter, but that it would go, it'd go very public. And that as a result of Easter 2017, there'd be something different happen. And for those of us who are reminded again that the resurrection isn't just some old stuff to walk by. It's core to our faith, core to what will get us out of bed tomorrow morning. We thank you for the love and power of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask all this in his name. Amen.